good morning. All right. I was once sad and lonely, having nobody to comfort me, so I wore a mask that always smiled to hide, to hide my feelings behind a lie. Before long, I had many friends. With my mask, I was one of them, but deep inside, I still felt empty, like I was missing a part of me. Nobody could hear my cries at night, for I designed my mask to hide the lies. Nobody could see the pain I was feeling, for I designed my mask to be laughing. Behind all the smiles were the tears, and behind all the comfort were the fears. Everything you think you see wasn't everything there was to me. Day by day I was slowly dying, I couldn't go on, there was something missing. Until now I'm still searching for the thing that will stop my crying, for someone who will erase my fears for the person who will wipe my tears. But till then I'll keep on smiling, hiding behind the mask that I'm wearing, hoping one day I can smile. Till then I'll be here waiting. You know, things aren't always what they appear to be. You know, it's really hard sometimes to look at others for a model of what family, of what marriage, children, our relationships, what they really should be. The main reason for this is because we never really see what's going on behind the scenes. We never really see what's going on when no one else is looking or what's going on in someone's mind or what they're really dealing with. See, we look at what others have and what they appear to be and then we see people that are happy because, you know, their kids are always wearing the right clothes or they drive the latest and the best cars they have this awesome home and they live in this new subdivision and they just look like they're so happy. And th doesn't that husband and wife always just seem to be so in love? And we say things like, honey, why can't you be more like that? You see, we begin to think that if we had those things or if we are, were a part of those things that we would find that same order in life. We would find that same peace we would find that same love in our own homes if we had those things. Maybe that same acceptance in that relationship. But folks, let me tell you this morning that things are not what they always appear to be. So, so what do we do then? What do we do? do we, uh, where do we look for things to be the way they should be? What's the model? Where do we look? What do we gauge how things should look since things are so out of order, since things tend to be so out of place and we can't really even tell what's going on behind the scenes. Where do we look? What should it look like? And is there any hope? Well, let me tell you this morning, there's hope. Amen? I want you to write down this title if you're taking notes this morning, A New Hope. There's something about people. We can look at people as models and we can follow others' examples, but listen, I want you to write this down. We cannot put our faith in people alone. We can't put our faith in people alone. You, you see, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we should never trust people because we do. We need to learn to trust people and to look to others for guidance and to learn from one another. But listen to me when I say people cannot be the source of our hope. Amen? People cannot be the source of our happiness. People cannot be the source of us feeling complete. You know that it is only God and God alone that should bring us true peace, joy, and happiness, and that should make us feel complete. Amen, somebody? 
You see, we cannot put our faith even in the person that we want to elect as president. Mm -hmm. Come on now. I said we cannot put our faith even in the person we want to see elected as president. I don't care what their message is. I don't care what they say they're going to do or what they have done or haven't done. It doesn't matter. You can't put your faith in people alone. Because how many of you are smart enough that you've figured it out that people will let you down? Anybody in this room figured that out? One or two of you, right? You see, I've got to put my faith and my trust and my hope in someone who never fails. You see, we, oftentimes we even look to man for direction and to bring change in our lives. But we don't look to God. You see, we need to look to the one who doesn't change. That's why in the book of Malachi, chapter 3 and verse 6, the Bible says, I am the Lord your God, and I change not. You see, our God is a God that doesn't change when things go good or when they go bad. That's what we do. When things are going good, woo, full of faith, trusting God, man, let me tell you right now. But when things are going bad, poor old me, I don't know, nobody likes me, nobody loves me, and everybody's just out to get me, and the devil made me do it, and God must not like me either. Church people sure don't like me. And we begin to look to all these negative things, and they begin to drag us down, and they begin to influence and impact our lives. You see, our hope has to be in the one that does not change because we've all learned that people do change. I remember that uh, growing up, my sister was raised the same way I was, lived a good godly life, was raised by good godly parents that did good godly things. And from what I knew, we were raised up in a pretty normal home. But my sister, she went and uh, to this choir at our church. They had a youth choir that was actually really good. I mean, they produced CDs and traveled around and the whole nine yards. They were just, they were really good. Well, when she was on this trip, she began to see a little something that you and I have seen in people that call themselves Christians. They're called hypocrites. Has anybody ever encountered any of those? And what happened was, was that she saw these people get up and sing God's praises. And she got uh, to see these people that looked holy on the outside. And these people that looked like they had it all together on the outside. She got to see what they were really like because she traveled with them on a tour bus as a teenager during the summer. And she got to see that there was sexual immorality going on. There was perversion. There was drug use. There was addiction. There was gossip. There was lying and bad-mouthing. There was so much drama going on. And then they get up there and sing their praises to the Lord. Hallelujah. Knowing what all of these other people had done. And it affected her. She allowed it to drag her down to where she began to lose hope and faith in people. And she began to let it influence her life. And it hurt her in her life because she saw the hypocrisy and she couldn't know she didn't know who to believe was real because someone comes to you and they tell you their story and they tell you how God has changed their life how God has set them free they tell you about how much they love God and oh they may have you know uh, all the bumper stickers on their car they may have all the Christian t-shirts with all the slogans on them and they may always have Christian television when you walk in their home turned on and then when you get in their car they always have Christian radio all the time it's just everywhere it's like they're they walk they can quote scriptures left and right but yet they're still dead inside because they don't really know God they know about him but a lot of times we'll look at those people on the outside and we'll see 
how great that we think they are. And then when we find them failing or when they fall or when we learn that they're not really what we thought they were, it devastates us. It devastates us. A lot of people, the, the world experienced this years ago with a man named Jimmy Swagger. Does anybody remember that? A lot of people had faith in Jimmy Swagger. A lot of people, any, anyone ever watch PTL in the, in the 70s with Jim Baker? There was a big fall, and it devastated so many people. Ted Haggard recently, just a few years back from the church in Colorado, coming out of the closet as being a homosexual and comes out of the closet as being a drug addict and pastoring this church. And you know, we see those things, and we go, you know what? This just isn't worth it. I'm just going to give up. But folks, let me tell you that there is a hope and there are people that are real. And there are people that are genuine. And there are people that really do love God. But above and beyond that, you and I have to trust God regardless of what people do. See, it doesn't matter what people do because my faith in God is not going to be determined. My trust in God, my level of commitment to Him is not going to be determined how people act. I can't put my faith in them. If people fail me, if people disappoint me, I cannot lose faith in God. I've got to trust him above all else. Amen, somebody. Amen. You see, we can't blame other people forever. That's a lot of times a trap that we get caught up in. We want to play the blame game. We want to blame everyone else for our problems and the situations that we're going through in life. But folks, we can't play this game. We can't play the blame game. Sometimes families get caught up in the blame game. They say, yeah, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, I'm not talking about anybody's family in here, right? <laughs> Families get caught up in this. And the reason I feel a certain way about this or the reason I feel a certain way about that is because, you know, of this or that. How long are we going to allow these things to keep us bound and keep strains in our family and on our relationships? You know, we say, if you would lose weight, I wouldn't be this big. I'll let that sink in for a minute. <clears throat> If he hadn't left, I wouldn't be so depressed. If we had more money, or if you had the right job, we would be respected in this town. If you weren't the way you are, I wouldn't be so angry all the time. This isn't a new thing. <laughs> Turn in the book of Genesis, chapter 3. I told you a few weeks ago, that was another sermon for another day. Well, today is the day, folks. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 9. This was Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Satan comes to him as a serpent and he says, this very one thing that God told him not to do was to eat from this tree of knowledge of good and evil. And Satan tells him, he says, listen, he said, don't worry about that. You're not going to die. Take it. And so they did. They, they, they took this fruit. God said, don't touch it and you'll die. The serpent said to the woman, you're not going to die. You know, God knows that the day you eat of it that your eyes are going to be opened and you're going to be like God's. And you're going to know good from evil. Then the, uh, So the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a, a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord... God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then God said to Adam, hey, where are you? Where are you at, Adam? 
He said, hey, I heard your voice in the garden, Lord, but I hid myself. I was afraid because I was naked. He said, who told you you were naked? And have you eaten from the tree which I commanded that you should not eat? And what does Adam do in verse 12? Well, he does the same thing we do. This woman that you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. Yeah, it was this woman that you gave me. I better point over here. My wife's sitting over there. This woman that you gave me. uh, This woman gave me this fruit and I ate it, you know? And then he looks at the woman and he says, what's going on? What have you done? And then the woman says, oh, it's the serpent. The serpent deceived me and I ate. See, everybody wants to pass the buck. Everybody wants to not take responsibility for their actions. They want to blame others. They want to say, oh, it was, it was my wife. Oh, if it wasn't for my kids, I could achieve more or do more, and, and it, they're holding me back. Oh, if it wasn't for this, if it wasn't for that. And there's these strain in our relationships. If this wouldn't have happened, if that wouldn't have happened. Well, here's the deal, folks. Whether it was right or wrong, whether it was your fault or not, that it happened, it did. And we've got to make the decision to pick ourselves up and move on and trust in God. No matter how bad it hurt, no matter how wrong it was, it will keep you stuck in the same pit for the rest of your life until you confront it and deal with it. And we've got to deal with it God's way because we cannot blame others forever. We can't do it. One claps, everybody claps. You know the rules. We can't blame others forever. You see, when we live a life full of blame that life refuses to take responsibility to change, things are chaotic. Things are always out of order when we refuse to take responsibility to change. I mean, when we're constantly passing the buck and we're constantly looking for someone else, you know, a lot of times we sit around thinking that people that have done us wrong, they're just all worried, just as worried and mad as we are. And you know, oftentimes that's not the case. You know, that when I was a young youth pastor... After I left the church that I had worked at for a number of years, I wrote a big, long email to my former employer because he treated me pretty rough. Wrote a big, long email. And I poured my guts into it because I was hurting, man. He did me wrong, and I wanted to make it right. And so I wrote this email, and I'm just crying as I'm typing it. Oh, I remember when he said this, and I remember when he called me that, and I... And I was telling them, I want you to know that you hurt me really bad. But I want you to know that I let it go. And I I wrote an email that was so long that it would have taken you forever to read it. I wrote, that it probably took me an hour at least to write this email. And he sends me one sentence back as a reply. Oh, I had no idea. Huh, sounds good to me. Thank you for the email. (laughs) What, are you kidding me? I wanted to take my foot through the computer and go, I wanted to email that to him. I mean, I was so mad. I couldn't believe the audacity. I wrote this extremely, and all you can say is, oh, thanks for the email. Thanks for the email. That's goofy, but we all do that. You see, when we do something and we think we're making a situation right and someone doesn't respond the way we want them to, hello, somebody. I'm not preaching anybody in here today, am I? (laughs) You look at your neighbor and say, he's talking to you. You see, here's the deal, folks. We can't control how people respond. 
You've got to understand this is not between us and people. It's not really even that important how they respond because number one, highest priority, it's got to be right between you and God. Your heart has to be right before God because when you stand before God on the day of judgment, you're not going to be able to say, but, 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 but. It's not how it works. Each person is going to have to give an account of how they handled this stuff. And because you're hearing this message, congratulations, you're now accountable for the information that you've heard. I told you we shouldn't have come to church today. (laughs) See, you're accountable for the information that you have received. And you've received information that's let you know that we can't blame others. And so we've got to stop. You see, when things are chaotic, when they're out of order, when they're not the way that they should be, when they're not the way that God intended them to should be, uh, th- that they should be, a lot of times we lose hope. When things are out of order, we, we sometimes throw our hands up in the air and we just lose hope. We give up. But I want you to understand something about family this morning. And I want you to listen close. Family is an investment. Oh, somebody isn't writing that down that needs to write it down. You need to tweet it, text it, Facebook it. Listen to me this morning. Family is an investment. It's not a one-time deal. It's a long-term investment. Your walk as a believer is an investment. It's a long-term investment. If you've ever invested any money in the stock market before, maybe you were new to investing and you put a few dollars in like I've done when I was younger. I put a few dollars in and buddy, I was expecting just to, just everything was going to split and I was going to get paid, uh, you know, all this money out just so quickly. And I noticed that things started going down and I was like, oh my, it's like the second day I put my money in the stock market. All of a sudden things start going down and I'm freaking out. I'd never done it before and I'm going, oh no. And then it went up a little bit, and I was like, whew. Then it went down, whoa. And I've been investing for like three days. Some of you have been investing for 20, 30 years. And you know, uh, it goes down, it, it goes up, it goes down. You understand that it's a long-term investment. You understand that I'm not going to pull out my money at the first sign of just a little bit of trouble. I'm not going to throw my hands up in the air. And it's the same thing with our families. It's the same thing with our marriage. It's the same thing with our relationships. It's the same thing with our finances. It's the same thing with our walk with God. It's the same thing with church. Hello, somebody. Oh, I'm preaching better than y'all are shouting today. It's an investment. You and I have to find hope in God's word and in his truth and hold on to that hope during the good times and during the bad times. Amen? Too many people make permanent decisions based off of temporary circumstances. Too many people make permanent decisions based off of temporary circumstances. How many of you have found out that circumstances change? How many of you have found that, you know, even when it looks like things are going nowhere, you never know when God is going to show up in your midst and turn everything around and you've been holding on to faith, you've been holding on to His Word, you've been trusting Him, you've been doing what you know you need to do on your part and trusting God, and he turns that situation around for you. You can't control when that situation is turned around. You can't control how it's turned around. You've got to take your hands off the controls and say, God, I'm going to trust you to do this your way and your timing how you see fit. All I can do is trust that your word is good and you're going to do what you said you're going to do. 
Amen, somebody? You see, when the things get out of order, though, we begin to throw our hands up in the air and we make permanent decisions based on temporary circumstances. You see, you don't evaluate your marriage on a temporary trial. You don't evaluate your children's success or failure based on a temporary setback or failure. You don't evaluate your own worth just because maybe you've been lonely. Maybe things have been hard. You don't evaluate your whole life based off of one temporary or multiple temporary setbacks or situations. There's got to be something more consistent than that. You see, that's what I keep going back to. That's what I keep thinking about. I mean, there's got to be something more uh, weighty, more, there's got to be something that's going to carry us through, something that's not so wishy-washy and up and down and changing like the, like the sands. Have you ever made a sand castle and you spent all this time or you did a design? I remember when I went to Florida on vacation one time, I was at Panama City and I spent all this time making this awesome thing out of sand. And then the next day, it was gone. And a lot of times we spend all of this time <clears throat> working on something and trying to control it and make things work for us a certain way and then something comes in and it just washes away and we go, where did it go? And we lose hope. We throw our hands up in the air and we begin to make permanent decisions based off of a temporary circumstance. You see, what happened was, was that we put our trust in something that was changing Something that moves and, and shifts all the time, like our emotions. Anybody ever trusted in the way you felt? Oh, I feel like he's the right guy, or I feel like she's the right lady, because she sure does look pretty. <laughs> and I like to kiss. Or he sure does have a lot of money. And then your gold digging self finds him broke and you're going to want to leave him. <laughs> wow. You know, a lot of times when circumstances change, all of a sudden our feelings change, don't they? Don't they? When those circumstances change, our feelings change. How I felt about something, it changes because all of a sudden... I don't feel the way I used to feel. That's what we say. I don't have feelings for you anymore. I don't, I don't feel, you don't make me feel the way I used to feel. Well, did you get married because you felt a certain way or did you get married because it was the right person that God had for you? <clears throat> did you make that decision in your life because God was leading you to and because it was something that he said in your word you needed to change or something that you were aligning yourself to or because of a feeling. And then all of a sudden you find yourself not feeling the same way. I remember there was a... <laughs> I remember a TV show where there was a group of people going on this mission trip and there were some people from an office that were there watching the, the, this group of people. And everybody was high-fiving them. And two people uh, from the office, they get really excited about all these kids going on a mission trip. And they just jump on the bus too. And all these people are like, what are y'all doing? They're like, we want to go too. 
And they're all like high-fiving them, saying, yeah, we want to go on the trip, on the mission trip to Mexico. And everybody's high-fiving. They're like, wow, that's great. We need more people like you guys. You guys are awesome. And then about halfway down the road, they're going, I'm not, how, how far is it to Mexico again? Oh, we're going to be driving 56 hours. And they're like, can you drop us off? Nope, we're not stopping till Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, you need to let us off now. Then they just start freaking out. They made a bad decision because they got caught up in the moment. How many of us have ever made bad decisions because we get caught up in the moment? Or we make poor decisions because our feelings led us astray. You see, we've always got to go back to the Word of God and live our lives based on His principles and not our feelings and our emotions. Hello, somebody. Amen? Is this helping anybody today? Hebrews 11 and 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things that aren't seen. You see, here's what faith does. Faith gives life to hope. It gives life to hope. It doesn't mean everything changes suddenly. That's where a lot of people miss it with faith. It doesn't mean all of the sudden that just because this person didn't like you and you started applying the principles of treating someone the way you would want to be treated and you're applying that scripture in your life, all of a sudden they're going to love you. And it's just going to turn around like that just because you obeyed the Lord one time and you just did this thing this one time. People drop money in the offering bucket. I'm going to tithe. And then they're like, okay, God, pay my bills. <laughs> and God's like, go, go work. Go get a job. <laughs> I'm telling you, folks, a lot of times we sit back and we wait for God to fix everything because we've just done one thing and we're like, cash out. Cha-ching, come on, God. And, and folks, that's not how faith works. Faith is us trusting in him regardless of the circumstances. It doesn't mean everything changes suddenly because it's sowing, investing. The Bible says the sower sows the word. He invests the word. So when the rains come and when the winds come and when the storms are raging in your life, you're standing on the solid rock because you're standing on the thing that does not change. I am the Lord your God and I change not. Amen. You see, we invest in God's way of doing things, when we do that, it brings order in our lives. It brings order to our lives when we trust Him and invest in His way of doing things. Because how many of you know His Word says that His ways are higher than my ways? His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. It's an investment. It's just not a one-time decision. You, listen, people don't stay married for 50, 60 years because every day was a happy day. Amen. You, you see, uh, they were relentless. They didn't quit. Children don't become responsible and respectful because you decided to correct them one time. It's an investment. It's an investment. It's us taking time and investing in the things that we know are worth it. It's us saying, you know what? This is worth the investment. This is worth the time because I trust God and His Word above all else. Amen? Look at somebody and say, I'm in this for the long haul. You see, that's the deal, folks. We got too many people jumping ship too quick. Too many people jumping out of marriages, out of one marriage into the next. Too many people jumping out of one relationship into the next. Too many people jumping out of one job into the next because they're looking for something. They're looking for stuff, jumping out of one payment into the next. People are jumping out of one thing into the next because they're looking for something to satisfy them and make them happy. They're looking for something to bring peace to their soul. 
because they're in torment and they're looking and searching. Folks, let me tell you, you're going to keep on jumping. You're going to keep on searching until you find out that it is through God and His Word alone and faith and trust in Him that's going to bring you the hope and peace that you need in your life. Amen, somebody. You see, too many people are abandoning ship and giving up because the pressure is too great or because the money is too tight or because I'm unhappy. Faith commits for the long haul because it trusts in this. It trusts that God is working on my side. And if God is for me, then what does the word say? Who can be against me? If God is for me, who can be against me? I want you to turn to the book of Daniel in the third chapter. Book of Daniel. Third chapter. Understand that during this time that the Babylonians have come in and they've captured the Jewish people. And there was a man named Daniel that was able to work in the courts of the king. He found favor with the king because he was able to interpret some of his visions. But there was also three other guys. And they changed their names because they were a pagan nation and their original names were different. But we know them best as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And those are actually pagan names that they gave them. But that's the most common thing that you and I know them by. And King Nebuchadnezzar issued a decree that when the music sounds in all the land, when they blow the trumpets, when they begin to play the music, this image that they've created, everyone's supposed to bow down and worship. Doesn't matter whether you're Jewish doesn't matter whether you were Babylonian. It doesn't matter who you are. That's the way things work. Well, the music was played, and guess what? These three guys didn't bow down. But here's the thing. King Nebuchadnezzar, he, he really liked Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He didn't want to see them die. He didn't want to see them, you know, be put to death because the punishment for not bowing down was that you would be thrown in a fiery furnace. Okay, this furnace was just so intense. It was so hot that as soon as you would be thrown in, that you would just burn. What a terrible way to die. And these three guys didn't do it. And the king Nebuchadnezzar, he comes to him and says, listen guys, I really, really like you. But, but here's the deal. I understand you're making a stance. I get that, you know, I, I, I like you guys. Why don't you guys go ahead and just bow down and, and, and we got this understanding going on and, and, and just do it because I don't want to have to punish you. And they said, king, we're not going to do it. Matter of fact, this is how the Bible reads in Daniel chapter 3 and verse 17. If that's the case, these guys are talking to the king Nebuchadnezzar. If that's the case, then our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Oh, that's some mighty strong words there. And then he goes on to even say this. But if not... Let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Whew. King's getting pretty mad at this point. Skip over to verse 23. What ends up happening is that the king ends up getting so furious at these comments that he says, make it hotter than ever before. Matter of fact, they made it so hot that the guards that were going to throw him into the fiery furnace burned up 
That's how hot this thing got. These guys weren't even in the furnace and they burned up. The guards did. And this is what happens, verse 23. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they fell down into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished as he rose in haste and he spoke saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. Verse 25 said, look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they're not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the son of God. And the Bible says that when they came out of the fiery furnace that they didn't even smell like smoke. Listen to me this morning. I, 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 I want you to get this. I want you to understand here that Jesus was in the midst of their fire. Jesus was the one that was in the midst of all of that junk. And I'm here to tell you today that if you trust in God and you trust in his word, that he will be in the midst of your fire, in the midst of your trial, in the midst of your situation. The word of God said that if God is for us, who can be against us? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, listen here, king. They said, listen, I don't care what you do to us because our God is going to deliver us. And guess what? Even if he doesn't, we're still not bowing. You see the stance that they took? You see the boldness that the word of God, that trusting in the Lord brings? That they said to the point of even facing death, that they said, even if our God doesn't deliver us, we're still not going to do it. But we know he surely is able to deliver us and we're going to trust him regardless of what happens. So whether they were saved from the fire or whether they burned as soon as they walked in, the king was going to know that they weren't going to relent, that they weren't going to quit because they were investing in God's way. And God was bringing his control and his order to their lives. And then what happened in the midst of the junk, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the fear? Who showed up? Jesus showed up in the middle of the fire. Let me tell you, folks, there's fires in life. There's storms in life. There's things that are going to happen. And you can't jump ship and you can't abandon every time the pressure's on or every time that someone may try to come against you. You have to stand your ground and believe that God is going to deliver you and you're going to trust in him regardless of what someone else says, regardless of what someone else does, because you know that he does not change. You know that he's the one that brings order. He's the one that brings order to chaos when things are out of order. I know that things aren't looking good in my marriage right now, but I'm not giving up. I'm not giving in. I know my kids are acting crazy right now, but I'm not giving up. I know they may have come up in my face and said, I hate you. But I'm going to stand on the word of God and do what I know is right because it's more important for me to be your parent and it's more important for me to raise you in the fear and admonition of the Lord than it is for you to like me right now and be my friend. Too many parents trying to be kids' friends. Let me tell you something. You being their parents a whole lot more important. And whether, they're, they, whether they like you when they're a young person or a teenager or not, I promise you, the Bible says, raise a child in the way that they will go and when they're old, they won't depart. It doesn't matter how old they get. (laughs) 
Sometimes you might be saying, oh, they're getting old. Yeah, but if you raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord, you raise them in the way God wanted you to, the Bible says they're not going to depart. That's a promise you have, and you've got to stand on that, not give them to the fear and the pressure, the circumstance, the situation. Yeah, but they said this. Yeah, they might have said this. They might have done that. They might have ostracized you. They might have gave you the boot. They might have kicked you off of their Facebook page. They might have been spreading ugly rumors and lies about you. But listen to me, folks. You've got a promise that's better than Facebook. You've got a promise that's better than fear and doubt and what anyone may say, no matter how close they may be to you. Amen. You've got a better promise. That promise is what God's Word says, and that's what I'm going to stand on. That's what you can throw me in the fire. It doesn't matter. I'm trusting God. Amen. Look at somebody and say, Amen. Come on. Amen. Jesus was in the middle of that fire, and Jesus will be in the middle of your situation. And your storm, you stand on his word and you trust in him. Because the Bible says he'll not leave you or forsake you. So when it seems like everyone else has and it seems like you're all alone. And it seems like everybody's against you. It seems like everybody's spreading rumors and lies about you. It seems like everyone is saying hateful things about you. If God is for you, who can be against you? Amen? If you're ready to invest in getting things back in order because it's an investment... Look at somebody and say, it's an investment. And I'm in this for the long haul. You see, it starts with hope. That's where it starts. Because some of you in this room may have lost hope. You may have lost hope in restoring that relationship with your mom and dad. You may have lost hope in restoring that relationship with that friend or that coworker. You may have lost hope in restoring that relationship with your children. You may have lost hope in your marriage. You may have lost hope that you will ever get married. And maybe you feel just like you're destined to be alone forever. Maybe you've lost hope. I'm here to tell you today that there is a new hope. His name is Jesus Christ. There is a hope that surpasses the way you feel. There is a hope that surpasses the way your circumstance may be unfolding at this current and present time. And it is bigger than anything that you have ever encountered before. Amen? Amen? Your best days are still ahead of you. And what God has in store for you is better than whatever you ever could dream or think. Does anybody remember that? What God has in store for you, it's what? It's better than, it's better than whatever you could ask or think. You see, we have this idea of what success looks like. We have this idea of how things should be. And whoever painted that picture for us, maybe it was our parents, maybe it was the media, maybe it was television, maybe it was romance novels. No matter what painted the picture of what we think success looks like or what we think good marriages and good relationships and, and, and good children, what, no matter what we think it should look like, I've got a promise in the Word of God. If I follow Him, what He has in store for me is going to surpass and be better than whatever thing I've come up with in my head. No matter how good I think it is. Well, I guess I'll be successful when I'm driving this kind of car or wearing these kind of clothes or hanging out with these kind of people. Or, you know, I need a boat. That's what I need. A boat will make me look really important. Maybe, maybe if I get really good Packer tickets, maybe then people will think I'm important. I'm not sitting up in the nosebleeds. I'm sitting right down there, you know. 
That's that, I'm important because I can do that. Maybe if I do this, maybe if I, if I spend myself silly, people will notice me and I'll be important. Maybe my wife will think I'm successful if, if I buy her this or do this. You see, and we get caught up in all these traps because we have this messed up, distorted idea of what success is, of what love is, of what happiness is. And so we chase after that idea. But let me tell you, folks, let me tell you, folks, what God has in store for you, what he wants to put back in order in our lives, in our relationships, in our families, it's better than whatever you could ever think. You'll find yourself being content and happy with things you never thought you would before if you trust in God. Amen? When you realize it's not about stuff having me or me having stuff, but it's about walking in peace and walking in the joy of the Lord, walking in that fulfillment of life where you just are thriving. Let me tell you, folks, since I've been here in Wisconsin and I've been your pastor, I have felt so fulfilled in my calling in my ministry. I I wouldn't trade it for the world. I wouldn't trade being your pastor for the world. I love you guys, and I love being around you, just hanging out with you. Matter of fact, last night, I was up here at the church at 12 o'clock with those folks over there painting and just hanging out with church folks. And my wife's like, come on, let's go home. (laughs) You know, she loves hanging out with everybody too. Don't get the wrong idea. But let me tell you, when you're walking in God's plan for your life, you feel fulfilled. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? doesn't matter if you're a pastor. doesn't matter if, if you're a factory worker. doesn't matter if you're a CEO. It doesn't matter. If you are walking in God's plan for your life, you feel fulfilled. You feel fulfilled. And you understand what order is, God's order, that's better than whatever you had in mind and whatever you had in store. That's what I want in my life. That's what I want for you. I believe that's what God wants for you. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads this morning? God, I thank you for this group of people in your church today, Father, in this house. I thank you, Father, that we're here hearing about hope and truth. And I ask today, Lord, if there's anyone here in this place that's looking for hope and truth, Father, I pray that you help me find them today. Pray that you would find them by your Holy Spirit. If you're here in this place today, And you say, Pastor Derek, I'm looking for hope in my life, and I need Jesus Christ in my life. I need him to be first place and center stage of my life. He's taken a back seat for way too long. I'm ready to put him where he needs to be and get my life back in order. Maybe you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior before. Maybe you've said a prayer, but you're like, I I don't know if I meant it. I sure haven't been living like I meant it, and I want to make a fresh commitment to him today. Or maybe you've never said that prayer at all accepting Jesus into your life. But today you said, is the day. I'm ready to get things back in order. If you're here in this place today and you say, Pastor, that, that's me. You're talking to me. The Lord's drawing my heart. I want you to just let me know you're here by lifting up your hand and putting it back down. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see those hands. You can put them back down. Anyone else in this place? Hands have been lifted all over this room. Well, I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and I want you to repeat this after me. But listen, before we do that, I want you to understand that it's not these words that hold the key to you being right with God and your salvation. It's between you and God what's in your heart. So you've got to mean this, okay? This isn't just something we're doing just to do or so you'll feel better about yourself. 
This is something that we need to mean from the very depths of who we are and understand that God is accepting us right where we're at. Church, would you say this with me today? Say, Dear Jesus, I come before you today humbled, asking you to be my Lord and Savior. I believe that you died for me and that that was good enough to forgive me of my sins and make me right with God. So I put my faith and hope and my trust in you. And I will follow you all the days of my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you look up here? If you said that prayer today...